This is an audio reading from the book Stories from the Messengers. I will be reading chapter 14, titled The Owl and the White Buffalo. This audio chapter is 47 minutes long. This book has been published by Richard Dolan Press. It is available in both Kindle and paperback formats, and hopefully, very soon, it will be available in an audiobook version. The book will be read by me, the author, Mike Cleland. Please enjoy. Chapter 14 The Owl and the White Buffalo I guess I'm just following this synchronous breadcrumb trail in an attempt to get to the bottom of my experiences. Those words arrived in my email inbox in November of 2011. They were part of a letter from a woman named Brenda, who said she'd had a very strange owl experience. I contacted her right away, and we spoke on the phone for several hours. She shared two stories that were extremely unusual, one of which involved an enormous owl staring at her through a window. I wanted to include her account in the messengers, but I couldn't get in touch with her. I ended up doing something I didn't like. I used her account without permission, which was unlike me. Her story was told in a very sparse way with few details, so I didn't feel like there were any ethical issues. I received an anonymous comment on my blog on September 17, 2016. In it was the line, I spoke to you back in 2011 regarding the huge owl on the back deck after a night of weird visitation. I immediately knew it was Brenda and put up my own comment on the blog along with my email address and then asked to speak with her again. She got back to me by email the next day and I replied with an apology for using her story without permission. Included in that message was the single paragraph of her account from page 41 of The Messengers. The passage began. There are also stories of what seem to be real owls, but the context is so strange that it's hard to truly know. In her follow-up email, she said she didn't mind that her experience was in the book, and I was relieved. The reason that she had reached out to me was that she saw an image of a page from my book. It had been posted on a Facebook group page dedicated to alien abduction, and she felt pretty sure that the guy who had added the image had his own contact experiences. Three days later, on September 21st, the autumnal equinox, Brenda sent me an email with an attached image. She wrote, I don't know if you remember me saying there was a guy on Facebook who posted a page from your book. After you quoted the part where you included my owl experience on page 41, I went back to that guy's photo of the page from your book. The page he posted had my story on it. I've attached the photo. The guy's name is Mike something, and his last name starts with a C. I instantly knew that this was Mike C. from the previous chapter. It was the day before, September 20th, when he had sent me the message about seeing both an owl and a huge UFO while listening to my voice. This was personal. It involved me. And because of this, it feels like one of the most powerful owl stories that I have ever encountered. This book is nearly 400 pages long, 
and he circled a passage that was important to him. The very next line was Brenda's experience. I should be used to this kind of thing by now, but this went way beyond coincidence. It felt like I was being shaken by something that was demanding my attention. When I replied to Brenda that I knew him, I added this. Holy crap, my right ear. It started ringing just as I typed that. I will occasionally get a loud, high-pitched ringing in one ear, and it somehow seems to show up when I'm talking about UFOs. This time, it happened for just the few seconds that it took me to write out that I knew Mike C. Reviewing the timeline of all these messages made me feel that something had been orchestrated. The web of connections are woven too tightly to ignore. They are two different people with two different stories, but they overlapped in a way that shook me to my core. Mike C. and I spoke on the phone for the first time the same day I received Brenda's letter with the image of page 41. He needed to tell me the entire story of the owl and the flying saucer as much as I needed to hear it. The next morning, he sent me a cell phone video of something strange hovering above his house. It was dark and there wasn't much to see, just a small dot of light in the pre-dawn sky, but the anxiety in his voice was palpable. For the next few days, Brenda's messages were overlapping with Mike C.'s. It would be nearly six months later when I finally spoke with Brenda again. She retold the two stories I had first heard six years earlier in 2011. An Owl Out the Back Door Brenda's owl experience began on Halloween night when she was 22 years old. She was at her mother's house with her boyfriend. They were getting ready to go to a costume party and were both dressed as goth vampires. They ended up getting in an argument and he left. She was upset and wanted to talk to her sister. She said, Somehow I got it into my head that I was going to walk to my sister's house, even though that was a 20-minute drive. I interrupted and asked if she'd ever walked to her sister's house before. She laughed and said, Oh, heck no. I had decided to walk even though I knew I would never have made it. And at that point it was past midnight. She said she had had a few wine coolers and thought it would be better not to drive, but I could hear in her voice that this might not have been the real reason. Looking at a map, her sister lived about 12 miles away. She knows it doesn't make any sense, but she left her mom's house and started walking. She hadn't walked very far when a car pulled over, and a big guy with a Scottish accent offered her a ride. She wasn't sure what to do, but he said he was a jazz musician, as if that somehow made it okay. Hearing this, she got into his car. Something about this seemed so unsettling, and I asked about her impressions, now over 20 years later. She's also very aware of how odd this sounds. Getting in a strange man's car in the middle of the night is something she would never do. She described him as a big man with red hair and a red beard. She remembers he talked about being a musician, and she felt terribly awkward the entire drive. He dropped her off at her sister's house on a quiet suburban block that backed up to a dense forest. Nobody answered when she knocked, and all the doors were locked. She walked around to the back deck and sat alone in the dark for what felt like two hours. She spent that time waiting, all the while with a strong feeling that she was being watched. 
When her sister finally arrived home, she turned on the light in the room next to the deck, and Brenda stood right up against the sliding glass door and knocked. This scared her sister terribly, and it took her a moment to calm down enough to let her in. Brenda desperately wanted to talk about her relationship problems, but it was after two in the morning, and they were both very tired. Together, they got the couch set up for Brenda and said goodnight. Her sister's bedroom door was within view of the couch where she was sleeping. Later, Brenda was jolted awake when the television suddenly came on. She was suddenly fully awake, but her body felt heavy, like it was hard to move. The clock on the VCR read 4.19 a.m. Her very first thought was that her sister's husband was getting up early for work, and the TV was on some sort of timer. It was a talk show with two women in conversation. There was sound, but the image on the screen was weirdly dark, as if the brightness was turned down. Electronics acting strangely is commonly reported in UFO visitation accounts, so the TV turning on by itself is a red flag that something more might have happened. She was seeing two women talking on the TV, and this is precisely the reason she had gone out into the night. She wanted to talk with her sister about her relationship issues, and that's what was presented to her, two women in conversation. Brenda turned the volume way down on the TV, then noticed an odd amber glow coming from her sister's room. There was a shuffling sound, and a shadow moved within this strange light. The couch was right next to the door to her room, so it was close enough to hear easily. Brenda said, I got this weird feeling. Something was really wrong. Something about the color of that light wasn't natural. Whatever comes out of that bedroom, I do not want to know what it is. Brenda was suddenly overwhelmed with fear. She said, I closed my eyes really tight and suddenly felt that dropping off the cliff feeling. It was sudden and powerful, like I was forced into sleep. I never drop into sleep that fast or that heavy. When she awoke, she was facing the window and saw the fading light of dusk. She said, it was really pretty. The clouds were streaked with pink and purple. Her only thought was that she must have slept the entire day, and now it was evening. She stared at this lovely view for about five minutes when the phone rang, and she was suddenly seeing a bright blue sky. She struggled to try and explain how jarring this was because the view went from sunset to full daylight without so much as a blink. I asked, could it have been dawn? Could the sun have been rising and not setting? She replied, no, because I was facing west, so it had to be the sunset. And my body had already adjusted to the wakeful state. My eyes didn't blink. It was just set off by the phone ringing. It was just, bam, noon, with no clouds and a bright blue sky. I was like, this just didn't happen. She answered the phone, and it was her mother asking to talk to her sister. Brenda frantically tried to explain what had just happened and how it had jumped from sunset to noon. Her mother seemed interested, but couldn't stay on the line. Just before hanging up the phone, she noticed a gigantic owl just off the back deck. It was on a branch, and its weight bent the branch down so low that it was almost resting on the side railing of the deck. She said there was something terribly creepy about this owl. It looked three feet tall. It was white with wispy gray feathers. The eyes were pitch black. It was so spooky because as I was pacing back and forth waiting for my sister to come home, 
Its eyes followed me everywhere I went. It never took its eyes off me. The owl stayed there all afternoon, staring at Brenda through the sliding glass door. When her sister arrived home from doing errands, Brenda took her to the big back window and asked, Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Her sister saw the owl too and remarked that it was enormous. About ten minutes later, they both watched the owl fly off. Brenda said, I remember the branch rising up. It was quite a large branch, so it bounced up and down really heavy and slow. I asked if she thought she had seen a real owl, or could it have been some sort of screen projection? She answered in a shaky way as if she wasn't sure. She remembers it as a real owl, yet it seemed too big. She described it as the size of a small child. In the days that followed our conversation, she searched through pictures for any owl similar to what she'd seen, but she couldn't find anything that matched. She eventually sent me photos of great gray and barred owls and said that these were close. After the owl flew off that afternoon, Brenda spoke excitedly with her sister about all the strange things that had taken place the night before. First, she asked if the television had been set on some sort of a timer, and her sister replied that no, it hadn't. Then Brenda tried to describe the eerie orange light coming from her sister's bedroom and asked if her husband was up early for some reason. Her sister said that he was out of town and that she had slept soundly throughout the night. During the writing of this chapter, Brenda asked her sister what she remembered of that night. She said she remembered the owl and that it was huge. She also remembered Brenda telling her about having real dreams all throughout the night. Another thing that her sister shared was that it didn't make sense that she didn't get home until after two in the morning because she would never stay out that late. Brenda said, the whole thing was really weird and for the next two or three days I felt off kilter. It was like a, a non-reality, almost as if I was in a sort of shock. The Kundalini Awakening It wasn't long after these events that Brenda broke up with her boyfriend. In the aftermath, as a way to distract herself from getting depressed, she went on a health kick. She said, I began a discipline of mind, body, and spirit alignment. This meant yoga every day, meditating, exercise, eating a vegan diet, affirmations, and reading spiritual books. There wasn't any profound reason for this change. She was just doing what felt right to keep a feeling of peace. She said, After about six months, I came into a kind of body-soul-spirit alignment, and I had a powerful kundalini awakening. She described waking one morning with a low vibration in the base of her spine. The next morning, it happened again, and this time it lasted a couple of minutes. The sensation scared her. There is a slow, gentle calmness to how Brenda speaks, so it was disarming to hear what she said next. She said, The third time it happened, it wasn't going away, and it was growing in intensity. Only this time I had the distinct feeling that something was about to shoot up my spine like a rocket. I had the immediate urge to sit upright in bed and just let it happen. I really had no choice. When I did, it was like liquid sunshine shooting up like a geyser through the top of my head. 
this same intense surge seemed to push a mass of black tar out through the top of Brenda's head. She said, I could see it dripping down my face before it suddenly dissipated into nothing. Then the light burst forth and poured throughout my entire body. My whole body became luminous with these sparkly golden white lights. And then everything became a hologram. I was lit up from the inside out, and I became translucent. I knew this because I held my hand in front of my face and saw that I could see right through it. And there was light pouring out from the inside. Also, as I looked around the room, I realized that I could see right through the walls, to the trees and houses outside. There was this ocean of light, and I wasn't prepared for it, and, and I was so scared. Despite this profound experience, she still had to get up and go to work. At the time, she worked at a medical office doing their billing, updating their patient files, and answering phones. She said, I always knew what the date was because that's how my day began. I started up my computer, and while I was waiting for it to come alive, I started going through the stack of patient files on my desk, and I noticed that they were all the same files from the day before, Tuesday. I thought maybe there had been a mistake, or maybe they all needed to be updated again. She knew it was Wednesday the 8th, so she checked the day and date on her computer monitor, and it read Tuesday the 7th. Maybe the computer hadn't been updated, so she shut it down and restarted it. When it came back up, it still said Tuesday the 7th. She turned to a coworker in the next cubicle and said her computer was displaying yesterday's date. They got into a little bit of an argument. Brenda said it was Wednesday, and her co-worker said it was Tuesday. Eventually, Brenda gave in and relived Tuesday, updating all the same files as she had done the day before. She said, The telephone calls were pretty much all the same as the day before. Every single one was like deja vu. I knew exactly who was calling and what they were going to say. Also, everyone in the office who came within a 10-foot radius of me began acting strangely. They would start to giggle and smile and say they felt so strange, and it felt really good. I thought it was maybe the residual effect of this strange, brilliant energy that was still emanating through me from that morning. Brenda said, I am not sure what happened, but I am absolutely certain that I repeated that Tuesday. At this point, the synchronicities in her life were overwhelming and it frightened her. Things were happening that she didn't understand. She would have a strong thought about God, and at the same moment the DJ on the radio would say God, and at the same time the word God was on a billboard in her line of view. Brenda said, It was like boom, boom, boom. Everything was synchronous, like right now, right now, right now. Everything was like that, and I became so scared because I didn't know what was happening. The best way that I can describe it is that I was aligned and filled with the Christ light, and anything that was not resonating with this energy caused me tremendous discomfort. She saw a world filled with illusion, as if everyone were wearing a mask. The corruption and dishonesty around her was completely transparent. There were things about her job that required her to be less than truthful to the people she spoke with on the phone. She said, I could not abide by that, not in the state I was in. It was like lying to the face of God. 
I couldn't live with any kind of untruth or deception, so I wound up running away with the gypsies. She carefully described how everything was, quote, in some sort of perfect alignment to abruptly close out my old life and begin an entirely new life. Things were falling apart, but she saw it as necessary. She lost her boyfriend, lost her job, and lost her house. She said, the universe was moving. It was driving me. Like the stars had aligned and they all pointed with a huge arrow saying, go this way. The Double-Edged Sword It was during this chaotic time that she took a weekend job at an outdoor renaissance festival. This was a carnival of free spirits and eccentrics, old world music, food, artisans, fortune tellers, and tarot readers. The job meant wearing a costume from that era, and she spent her days dressed up as a medieval peasant. While at the fair, she spoke with a troupe of gypsy musicians and tried to explain the strange recent events in her life. One of the performers stood nearby and overheard their conversation. He approached Brenda and handed her a white rose. Speaking in a beautiful romantic tone, he asked her to leave everything behind and travel with him in the caravan. I interrupted. Wait, you mean you really did run away with the gypsies? I thought it was like some kind of metaphor. She said, yeah, I went with them. I closed up my bank account, packed up, and left. It was the most magical experience of my life. Brenda was now part of the tightly knit community that worked these traveling festivals, and they called themselves Rennies. This next story took place during the downtime in between the Renaissance festivals. Brenda and her traveling companion Luke were staying at the home of his friend in Texas. They had also worked the traveling fair circuit, but had recently settled down. On their first night, they all sat together. The scene was pleasant. There was a fire in the fireplace and a football game on a small television. The lady of the house asked Brenda if she would like some Turkish coffee, and without knowing what it was, she said yes. It was served in traditional little cups, and Brenda was surprised at its strength. A gracious guest, she drank it all. Luke's childhood friend Jacob arrived at the door. Brenda was meeting him for the first time, and he was very soft-spoken and shy. Both Luke and his friend went outside. She sat and made conversation with her hosts, a husband and wife, all while drinking two or more cups of this strong black coffee. The husband was watching a football game on TV. Luke and Jacob came back inside after about 20 minutes. They were both oddly quiet, and Jacob had a sword in its scabbard hanging from his belt. I asked, wait, where did he get a sword? She said, it's the kind of thing Rennies have lying around, so it really wasn't that unusual. Then Jacob positioned himself with one foot on the raised fireplace hearth and spoke to the room in deep theatrical tones. He said, Long ago came forth the story of the white buffalo and how the power of its light shall one day return to the earth. His voice was different. Instead of the gentle whisper when they met, he sounded like James Earl Jones reciting Shakespeare. He delivered a long mythic parable about the secret meaning of the white buffalo and how it embodies the light of Christ. His words were booming, 
full of authority and power. He explained that there was an energy affecting the world on a grand scale and its power is too concentrated and it would throw things out of balance. He said that evolution must happen slowly and the white buffalo must be brought down. It wasn't cruel to bring down a symbolic creature. It's that our lives and our world depended on it. As he spoke, the energy of the room seemed to change. It felt eerie, and Brenda felt the need to avert her eyes. She turned and caught a glimpse of the television. But instead of seeing the football game on the screen, she saw the living room where she was seated. It was as if there were a live video feed of all of them as they listened to Jacob's melodramatic sermon. She looked back and forth between what was happening in the room and the television, and it was the same scene. The image on the screen was from her point of view, as if the camera were in her mind. The speech reached its crescendo. With a dramatic flourish, Jacob took the sword out of the sheath and spoke the line, The white buffalo has been reborn and the Christ has returned, so the hunt is on. Then he turned and pointed the sword at Brenda. He looked her dead in the eye with a fierce expression and declared, If you think the sword was sharp last time, now it is twice as sharp and double-edged. After delivering those final words, Jacob calmly put the sword back in its sheath, sat on the hearth, and fell silent. He looked down at his hands and appeared to be totally confused, like he had no idea what had just happened. Everyone in the room was quiet for a long time. Eventually, the lady of the house broke the silence and said, Well, I'm going to bed. And the husband added, Yep, some of us have to work in the morning. Then, everyone left the room. Brenda said she couldn't sleep that night, partly because of the Turkish coffee, but more because of the strange drama that played out in the living room. Brenda said of that night, There was someone roaming around the house. I was sure of it. I had the feeling of my hair standing up. It was the feeling of being watched. She awoke late the next day and found Luke and Jacob playing a video game in the living room. Right away, she asked, Okay, you guys, what was all that shit about the white buffalo last night? They were both confused and didn't seem to know what she was talking about. Their response angered her, and she said, You guys are messing with my head, and I do not appreciate it. They acted clueless, and she demanded, What was the story about the white buffalo? She pressed them more, and they got angry. Confused, she backed down and stopped asking. A couple of hours later, after Jacob had left, there was a knock at the door. Luke answered it, and Brenda overheard the conversation. There were two Jehovah's Witnesses asking to come into the house to talk. Luke was very clear that it was not his house and they could not come in. They kept pestering and finally said, Well, actually, some of the members of our church saw a UFO hovering above your house last night, and that's really what we want to talk about. At that point, Luke shut the door in their face. Brenda said, It was really weird. There was a UFO above the house, and none of us knew about it? 
and the whole thing about the white buffalo that neither of them seemed to remember, I was the only one that remembered it, and they said it never happened. Brenda was freaked out and scared. She had the feeling that this tale was meant for her, that she was the white buffalo. It felt like she was being told that her kundalini awakening had caused some disturbance in the grand balance of humanity. She had the unsettling thought, I had better tone this down quickly, lest I be forcibly brought down. Jacob ended his heavy-handed speech with the line about a new sword being twice as sharp and double-edged. In the New Testament, the Word of God is described as sharper than a double-edged sword. Here's a passage from Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The phrase double-edged sword means something that cuts both ways, something both advantageous and detrimental. That strange monologue was summed up with a paradox, both a blessing and a threat. The two Jehovah's Witnesses who came to the door said there was something else, implying that the UFO above the house was a sign from Jehovah that they were chosen. Brenda said, I feel that this part is relevant because it ties in with the whole biblical context of the double-edged sword. She also said, Over the years, I've wondered if they really were Jehovah's Witnesses, or if they were from one of those organizations who show up on your doorstep after a UFO visitation. She was speculating that they may have been men in black. A few things seem noteworthy from these experiences. One is that it all seemed to begin on Halloween, an appropriate date given all the spooky incidents. Brenda and her boyfriend were both dressed as vampires, and the ancient mythology had Lilith in a very vampire-like role. This ancient goddess could transform into an owl, fly through the night, and drink the blood of babies. Brenda didn't see the owl on the back deck until the following afternoon, but the timing is curious. The second story also begins with Brenda wearing a costume. She was dressed in medieval peasant attire when Luke handed her the white rose. I'm not sure if this means anything, but it's a funny little detail. Brenda described Luke as being powerfully psychic. She said he was one with the spiritual realm. It flowed through him like water. She remembers they had an old radio and it would crackle with static every time he walked by, even though it was unplugged and without batteries. Three UFO Events During one of our long phone calls, Brenda told me, I have been seeing tons of UFOs since I was 17. To anyone outside this field of research, this might sound absurd, but it's common within these studies. Here's a story from a few years later. Brenda left her sister's house at sunset, the same house where they had seen the big owl out on the back deck. There had been a birthday party for her sister's son, and she was on her way to visit her grandparents. 
It was a clear evening in October, and it would take an hour and 15 minutes to get to their house. The drive took her north on a main highway as the sun was dipping below the horizon. Looking to her left, she saw a bright dot of light low in the western sky. Her first thought was that it was a planet, but it was moving slowly upwards. Her route took her on another highway, this time heading east, and the bright light was now off to the right. It was difficult to focus on it and drive at the same time, but she tried to keep an eye on it. There was something about this light that seemed so strange. She thought, it can't be an airplane. Brenda carefully explained her route on the big grid of farm roads. She would be traveling north and then make a right angle turn east, then back north again, and with each turn the dot of light would be seen from the opposite side of her car. It was confusing for her at the time, but after looking at a map, she realized that the thing in the sky seemed to be moving in one direction, and it was hard to perceive while she was driving with all the turns in the road. She lost sight of the object after leaving the main highway and then traveling onto one of the smaller farm roads. It wasn't long before she saw it again, and now it seemed to be moving toward her grandparents' house. Seeing this, she pulled over, turned the engine off, and rolled down the window. She watched as it moved across the twilight sky and listened for any noise, but heard nothing. As far as she could tell, it was flying in total silence. As it got closer, she could see a single bright headlight in front, which must have been what she thought was a star when she'd first seen it in the western sky. It moved in low until it was above the road where she was parked. She said, It came right over my car and shifted its angle to where its underbelly was facing me. It was like it was looking at me. Until that moment, she hadn't seen its shape. It seemed to be intentionally showing itself, tilting in a way so she could see the entire underside of the craft. It was a triangle, but the three edges weren't straight. Each were slightly bowed. She said it looked somewhat like the insignia on the uniforms in the original Star Trek series. She said it had a bright light in front, a large green light in the center, and a strobing red light on its tail. She watched as it slowly leveled out, and her teeth began to hurt. She was feeling some sort of high-pitched sound, and it scared her. She rolled up the windows, locked the doors, and watched the craft pivot and change direction. It slowly traveled above the road ahead of her car for about a quarter mile, then tilted and rose up into the sky. She was looking at the strobing red light at the tail as it moved away from her. It continued rising upwards, getting smaller and smaller in the nighttime sky, until all she could see was a small, blinking red dot. Eventually, it disappeared completely at what she assumed to be a tremendously high elevation. She had seen odd lights in the sky many times before, but this was the closest and longest sighting she had ever had. After it was gone, she looked at the clock. She was aware of missing time in UFO reports, yet there was no sense of anything unusual. The time and travel seemed normal. Brenda and I talked about this event, and she struggled with one odd detail. She remembers looking up at the underbelly of the craft from outside the car. Yet at the same time, she feels she only rolled her window down to look up. She doesn't think she ever left the car. This would have been on the last stretch of road before her grandparents' house. I asked if anything had happened after she had arrived. 
She replied that a lot of odd things happened at that house, then shared one curious story. She said, It wasn't the same weekend of seeing that craft, but I had a strange dream of being anointed with rose oil. I woke up at their house to a very pungent aroma of crushed red roses. The fragrance was all over my nightgown and embedded into the fabric of my bed linens. I know this smell did not come from the perfumes within laundry detergents. I knew my grandmother only used Tide and bleach to wash her linens. She did not have any kind of perfume, and neither did I, especially rose oil. Brenda shared another story from the spring of 1994. Having heard about a recent flap of UFO sightings along the western coast of Michigan, she convinced a friend to drive around looking for things in the sky. They ended up seeing something unusual near the Miracle Twin Drive-In Theater outside the city of Flint. Brenda commented when something passed high over their car, and her friend said, Oh, that's just an airplane. In that instant, it stopped, then backed up until it was directly above their car. It held its position while they stopped the car and scrambled to get the binoculars that they had brought with them. They looked up to see a silver triangle. It had a red light in the center with four tic-tac shapes along the bottom of the craft. But what seemed most bizarre was how it sat so perfectly still above them. Brenda said, It was so eerily still. It gave me the creeps. She attempted to describe the strangeness of it. She said, It was like our world was a hologram. This was difficult for me to follow, so I pressed her for more. She said, It's hard to explain. It's like seeing a person standing still on a stage with a movie screen behind them showing the sky. The person in front is 3D and the movie is 2D, so they are totally separate. You see them both, but they are not the same. It's like the rest of my life was moving, but that triangle was too still, and my brain was struggling to accept it. Brenda had another sighting. This began with an unsettling dream where her best friend from childhood was in danger. When she awoke, it was clear that this was something more than a dream. It was some sort of clairvoyant message. Her friend was in an abusive relationship, and she might have been in serious trouble. Brenda was concerned, but wasn't sure what to do. It was the middle of the night, and she did not want to call her on the phone. She was wide awake and worried, and didn't feel like she could go back to sleep. So maybe she should just drive to her friend's house. She got up, grabbed her car keys, walked out to the driveway, and saw that her car was blocked. Someone had parked behind her. It was normal to have extra cars at the house, and she thought maybe someone had a friend over. What seemed weird was that the car that had blocked her in was a very similar make, model, and color to her own, enough to confuse her in the dark. She could see silhouettes moving around inside this other car as she approached. Getting closer, they were suddenly gone, and the car was empty. She cautiously peeked in the window, close enough to see the flowered Hawaiian print on the seat covers. Something was terribly wrong. An eerie feeling flooded her, and she backed away from that car. But it wasn't a car. Whatever was there was shifting into something else. She turned to run back inside and was suddenly aware of something pointy and black looming above the roof of her house. She stood frozen and watched a hovering triangle slowly glide into view. It was low, 
just above the treetops, and although it wasn't illuminated, she could see what she assumed was a red light in the center of the structure. There was something unnatural in the way this thing was sliding above her. Its movements were very creepy, and she was scared. It positioned itself directly above her, and looking straight up, she saw big block letters that read U-S-A-F. These were printed on the underbelly of the craft in some sort of reflective text. She said, Then my body got so heavy. I fell to my knees. I was trying to stay awake, but I just collapsed. From that point on, her memories are blurry, and she ended up lying on the driveway next to her own car. She could smell the grass and feel the pebbles pressing against the side of her face. She was looking at the underside of her car, and she said, All I could think was, It's so dirty, and I really need to wash it. Then I blacked out. When she woke up the next morning, she was backwards in bed. Her head was where her feet should have been. There was no sense that what had happened the night before was any kind of dream. It seemed entirely real, as if all her senses were fully engaged. She told me, I know when I am dreaming, but this wasn't like that. It was reality, as far as I know reality. Sometime later, a vision from that night popped into her mind. She remembered seeing a blue holographic screen hovering in midair. It happened when that triangle was positioned above her. She was staring at some kind of transparent projection, with a long list of names on the left and numbers on the right, and they were scrolling fast. She said, it felt like it was being downloaded into me, but I didn't know what it was about. All of the other things felt real, but suddenly remembering that blue screen is a mystery to me. I, I, I don't know if it really happened. I'm skeptical. The Trauma of Not Knowing I had sent emails and phone messages to Brenda in the years after we spoke in 2011, but never received a reply. There was something so unsettling about the first two stories she shared with me, and I wanted to check in. Another reason I had tried to contact her was that the notes from our first phone conversation were sparse. The key details were written down, but it felt unclear. I was doubting my own memory. While working on this book, Brenda explained the reason she never replied in the years after our conversation. She wrote to me, That's such a shame we didn't connect back then. I vaguely remember you trying to contact me, but I had a pretty wicked spell there for a while. I was suffering from debilitating clinical depression, and I cut off contact with pretty much everyone and didn't check my email for a long time. I apologize for missing your communication. I understood. I have suffered terribly from depression and have spoken about it elsewhere in this book, my previous book, and in my blog. Over the years, I've met with a lot of abduction researchers, many of whom are practicing therapists, and each has listened attentively as I described my own long history of dark moods. All of them seem to treat this as something normal, the connection between UFO events and depression. It is terribly difficult to determine the source of depression, but trauma can certainly be a cause. Even if it's been forgotten, trauma would still have the same power to influence one's emotional well-being. 
I've talked with a lot of people who tell of experiences very similar to what Brenda has shared. Many will confide about anxiety, insecurities, or bouts of depression, but these personal issues won't come up in the first phone call. They will only emerge after long hours of conversation. I'm not a psychologist, so there isn't much I can offer in the way of advice. All I can say is that I know how hard it can be. Looking back on her experiences, Brenda sees them strung together all along her life path, as if arranged for some purpose. She said, The Halloween thing with the owl and my sister led to the Kundalini awakening, which led to running away with the gypsies, which led to the night of the white buffalo and the UFO. It's almost like things were set on a roll. Brenda told me, I have had a life of high strangeness, but after all the UFO sightings, never once have I seen one of those beings that everyone describes. I just don't understand what it's all about. How can I share so many similar experiences and yet have no clear involvement with these beings? There is a misconception within our popular culture that alien contact means one thing. Tiny gray aliens entering bedrooms and whisking people up to their flying saucers. This might be part of it, but I feel it's only a small facet of something much more complex and far-reaching. The phenomena is capable of hiding itself by erasing or altering memories. This makes it terribly difficult to comprehend what might be at play, and a lot of people are suffering from not knowing what has happened. Much of Brenda's story is hard to categorize. One example would be the morning of her kundalini awakening. She described liquid sunshine shooting up out of the top of her head while black tar dripped down her face. This is not a UFO event in the way we think of them, yet it is precisely the kind of bizarre thing that shows up in the lives of people who've endured these experiences. In her youth, Brenda suffered from a debilitating paranoia that the people around her were going to find out that she wasn't human. This curious detail is quite commonly reported. One more clue in the column of proof. But proof of what? Brenda's story is echoed by many, many others. Her confusion and the need for answers is at the core of what I hear and what I feel myself. I am playing a role in all of this as an author and researcher, but also as an experiencer. This is personal for me, and I feel an obsessive need to chronicle these stories. I have surrendered to this work and it is both baffling and inspiring. Over the last decade, I have connected with a lot of people and listened closely as they recount what they've endured. After hearing so much, there should be some new insight, yet all I've come away with is an awareness of the monumental difficulties within this subject. I want to offer some solace to the people who shared so much with me but I'm stuck with this helpless feeling of not being able to provide the answers they so desperately seek. You have just listened to an audio excerpt from the book Stories from the Messengers, read by Mike Cleland, the author, that's me, and what you heard was about 46 minutes long,
This book was published by Richard Dolan Press. It is available in both Kindle and paperback format, and soon, hopefully, in an audiobook format. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.